Hong Kong Football Podcast coming to you from Kowloon, Hong Kong after a couple of weeks in which Easton's attacking quartet proved constant threat to the Lee Man net and Southern on a roll dig Taipo into a deeper hole in game with six goals. Lots to get through today including the latest from the Hong Kong Premier League, the FA's plans for the future of the local game and more. But let's start with the breaking news affecting local football. What is that? Tobias Dusa, who joins me now in the same room. So I have to jump right into this. I cannot even say anything first. Okay. No, we're not doing the normal introductions. <laughs> All right. Hello, everyone. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, the news is, starting from January 29th, basically all public sports facilities and cultural facilities in Hong Kong will be closed. This is following other decisions in the last few days with basically most public places, including entertainment parks, being shut down. There's not really yet a deadline how long this should last. But yeah, this would mean that most Hong Kong games could not take place in the coming days or even weeks. And yeah, it's very hard to say right now how long this will last and what exactly will happen, but it doesn't look good. So this is in response to the coronavirus outbreak started in Wuhan in mainland China. It now appears to have spread to lots of places, but most pertinently to us. There are eight confirmed infections in Hong Kong. It's a deadly disease, potentially, but there's no suggestion that anyone is going to be killed by it in Hong Kong as yet. However, you know, the government has taken quite drastic measures, basically shutting down lots of things, lots of closing down, lots of events. Except horse racing. Except horse racing. <laughs> what do you think... We don't actually know officially, but what is this going to mean for the Hong Kong Premier League, the remainder of the season? I think the best case scenario is that we might have a postponement for two to three weeks with fixtures to return. Worst case scenario is that it might mean a shortening of the season if really too many weeks will fall through. Yeah, this is the kind of scenarios I could think of right now. Yeah, because, uh, you know, Hong Kong is particularly vulnerable to this kind of thing, right? Because the entire football infrastructure is reliant on public pitches. More or less, all of the games happen at government-owned stadiums, more or less for different clubs. You know, they don't have their own training grounds. They train at public pitches. So if those things get closed down, it's not just your local five-a-side team who's being affected. It is these, you know, these professional teams as well. So if these things are closed and there isn't some special arrangement made for the professional teams, then uh, yeah, there's no football. End of story, really. Very much so. Of course, as we talked before, luckily there is now the football training center in Chankwano that should be under complete management of the Hong Kong Football Association. So maybe there's some opportunity to squeeze in trainings and to actually have matches being played there. They also do this already for lower divisions. Sometimes matches are played there. So that would be a possibility. But eventually, I mean, what it means if this is the path we're going to, it also means that people cannot come and watch, right? And everything might be just Oriental Daily highlights eventually <laughs> what we are seeing from the rest of the season. But this is the kind of worst case, of course, we can think of now. We have Sublink Cup fixtures coming up uh, for next weekend. I'm doubtful that they will happen. I think most eyes are now the Senior Shield final on February 9th, which would be a big game scheduled for Mongkok Stadium this year, actually. So a nicer venue for this kind of final. But yeah, I would say at the moment, we are unlikely to see it happening on the day. But has yet to be confirmed or announced what is really happening. Okay, let's see how that proceeds. Let's get back to normal programming. My name, as always, is James Legg, I should say. Uh, regular listeners, uh, you already knew that, but anyone who's new to the program, Eastern beat Lee Man. Yeah, big result for them and best result for Kitchi as well. 
Yeah, best result for a lot of people. <laughs> 2-1 at Chonquano Sports Ground. There's been some talk recently at Paris Saint-Germain in France of the Fantastic Four, them kind of letting rip and playing all of their attackers at once. In this case, I think it's Neymar, Mbappe, Di Maria and Icardi. But Eastern coach Lee Chi Kin went with his own Fantastic Four at the weekend, playing the brilliantly named Everton Camargo and Jude Schwai, along with new signings Sandro and Lucas Silva, the three Brazilians in particular, combined nicely throughout the game. Sandro releasing Everton for the first goal. And for the second, Everton did something I've not seen for a while, which was that he passed to someone <laughs> in the box. He was not far from where he'd scored earlier, but he cut the ball back for Sandro, returning the earlier favour. And uh, Sandro finished the move off nicely. It was a busy day for Eastern goalie Yapung Fai. I thought he had a good game. He definitely has. And it's good to see him maybe back in form. Also for the national team. That's good news. Yeah, if we ever play any more games. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Lehman did get one back with 15 minutes left. Sehi Chapoval's shot deflected past the app after some good work down the right from Lehman's star striker Michael Andree. So these two sides were seen as the two biggest rivals for RNF in the title race. They played each other twice in succession. If you'd have asked RNF before the games what result they would have preferred, it probably would have been two draws. But failing that, this is probably the best situation for them, isn't it? It's one win each for both teams. Uh, of course, Lehman beat Easton 1-0 last time out. Uh, the results have also left Lehman and Easton down in fourth and fifth, respectively. That's surprising, right? Yeah, it is, because they were <laughs> they were seen as the title contenders. We do have a quite a broad race at the moment, if you want to be generous. After RNF beat Rangers 5-0 in Guangzhou, which is probably the least surprising result of the weekend, they are four points clear of second place Southern on 18 points, and Kichi are third. Eastern and Liman, I should say, are on the same points as Kichi. All of them are on 16. How does this make you feel about the title race? Well, actually, not too bad. Of course, everyone now expecting that RNF will collect the title at the end of the season, but I don't think it's that sure yet. They still have direct confrontations, of course, with the direct followers, Kichi. Uh, Salvan are not that far away as well. I feel it's maybe not yet as close as last season, but still can be a very, very interesting finish. Much more than we had two or three years ago when Kitschi were really running away with it. So it's not too bad. And yeah, of course, we have a split in the table that we discussed for the last episode already, which maybe could think us more creatively about the future as well. I mean, I suppose everything that we say about the remainder of the season has a kind of asterisk next to it now. Uh, we really don't know when or if <laughs> the yeah. season will. It's like ski jumping, you know? <laughs> Go on. Why does everything have to come to ski jumping? Yeah, it's like ski jumping. Because if there's, for example, too much wind after the first run, then they will just take the result on the first jump. Oh, so you think that they might just take... <laughs> That's not fair because RNF have just played Rangers Yeah, twice. they always talk about fairness, but this is how life goes. <laughs> fair enough. Force Mayor, what can you do? Mm. So it's a good news for RNF. They're looking pretty good. Two wins over Rangers. Uh, who are their biggest challenges, do you think? I would say Kitschi and Eastern for now. I think Lehman, of course, are still up there, but it would be a big big surprise and miracle for them to win the title eventually. I think like Kitchen East and will be the more established side to do that. What about you? I agree. You know, Southern a second and they're always kind of there or thereabouts, but they never seem like that much of a threat. You know, even when they were last season, I think even though they were involved in the title race, they finished third eventually to Typo and RNF. 
they're not necessarily viewed as a challenge, but that might just be pure perception. You know, Taipo weren't seen as a challenge until two-thirds of the way through that season and then he won the league. So it's all still there. And the Aberdeeners are in good form, as we will discuss a little bit later. One other upshot here is that Easton now have a better head-to-head record than Lee Mann, which when it's quite tight is going to be helpful for them. They won 2-1, of course, rather than the 1-0. I think they're currently shown as behind Lee Mann because Lee Mann have a game in hand. And so they trump them in the league at the moment. But come the end of the season, that superior record might help Easton stay one place above them if points are equal. Though, as always, we don't know when or if the season will end. <laughs> I'm going to stop saying that now. Lee Mann, we should mention, have brought in reinforcements. Bruno Pinheiro. What do we know about him? Yes, indeed. That's a 32-year-old defender from Portugal. And he has come around quite a bit. He has played in India, in Israel, in Greece, in Poland. Of course, in his native Portugal. Has also been in some of the youth national team sites many, many years back. And most recently, he has been at Army United in Thailand. Actually, he was a quite regular player there. I think according to online stats, he had 27 appearances for the team. So a starter, more or less. And yeah, so he is joining Lehmann with the hope that he is strengthening their defense. And yeah, should be an interesting signing. You know, he's turned up at the right time, obviously. <laughs> I'm sure he's thrilled to have um, arrived. And can you imagine him like on the phone to the Lehman guys? And he's like, oh no, it's okay. The, the protests are over. You know, we're back to normal <laughs> in Hong Kong. And then he, he lands. And then within a week, we've got total lockdown. Anyway, so how did Southern and Kitchi reach the heady heights of second and third? Tell me about it. I will. Uh, Southern beat Taipo 4-2. Fung Hui Man was back in the dugout for Taipo. Don't ask me what is happening here. I have no idea. <laughs> It's not really apparent who's in charge there, but um, he, he certainly was for, for this game, at least, for what it's worth. Goals from Philip Chan, debutante Gabriel Mendez, Travis Major rounding the keeper, and Diego Martins for Southern. Both typo goals came from former Aberdeeners in Cheron Chiu and Chan Man Fai. Typo did have their moments here, 22 shots. Only six of them on target, but not much defending being done by, well, anyone on the pitch. That's three league wins in a row for Southern back in the groove after a bumpy patch, rising up the table. And I thought Philip Chan's opening goal was very nice, poking the ball past one defender, riding a challenge from another before slotting home from a tight angle. He followed that with a five demands hand signal of the pro-democracy protesters, anti-government protesters, whatever you want to call them, uh, which is something we've seen now from a few different Hong Kong players this season. With that result, Taipo remain in sixth. And as I noted last time out, and Toby mentioned a little earlier, that gap between fifth and sixth is becoming something of a chasm. Seven points now separate Taipo in sixth from Eastern in fifth, the split in the league grows ever wider. We have to point out seven points is quite big if you consider the difference between the sixth and the tenth in the table are just four points. Oh, so they're much closer to bottom than they are to sixth. That really underlines the two-tier league we have at the moment. Premier League A and Premier League B. Yeah. Who's going to win Premier League B? That's the question on everyone's lips. <laughs> Typo all the way. <laughs> yes, two in a row. <laughs> 
does this this is complete spitballing because it's a bit of a strange week <laughs> um yeah, don't don't spit okay <laughs> <laughs> okay putting my mask back on <laughs> You know, in some countries like Japan used to, and I believe they do in Scotland, you know, they do the, they actually split the league, right? Halfway through and then they kind of fight it out, you know, the top team from the bottom team. Based on the situation we have right now, would that be some kind of remedy or at least a way of spicing things up? Actually, I think it would be. And that might also relate to another thing that we might raise later on as well on the podcast. And this is the games that need to be played every season. So I think at the moment, what is required by the AFC is 27 games, which has caused this suppling cup that we're always complaining about but yeah so because there are only 18 games in the league and the afc requires a certain total that's why this is how i understood it tell me if i'm wrong right that's why the sapling cup grew in size was to meet that requirement right so that said right probably it would be too much for a 10 team league to play four rounds i know this from austria and it was completely boring if you have like four rounds being played over an entire season but if you would do a split right and you would have then the best five teams then competing maybe in back-to-back games with each other and then the last five fighting for relegation and maybe another qualification spot for something else then yeah i think that maybe creates a little bit more excitement and maybe it's something that is better in general for smaller leagues that only have maybe 10 to 12 teams because Japan eventually I think stopped doing it I think Scotland is still doing it Scotland is famously Uh, Austria has changed this format I think two seasons ago I'm not against it but yeah the problem I think in Hong Kong is rather that you never know if you have 8 clubs next season or you have 12 And yeah, that might be the biggest hurdle. Yeah, I mean, this is pure speculation, so, but it's just a, a, an idea that might answer this problem that we have, which is a very big and it seems growing gap between the top five and the bottom five. Uh, oh, real quick on Taipo's game in Malaysia for the Asian Champions League qualifying round, they lost 5 1 to Kedar. No great surprise here. We, you know, I didn't really expect much from this game. So we were not at this game. We didn't see it either. But one person who was, was Jim Down, father of typo defender Toby Down. He could not play in the end because of some kind of administrative error that I'm probably not 100% comprehending. But either way, he, he sadly couldn't play in this game. I'm, of course, talking about Toby Down, not Jim Down. He wasn't going to play <laughs> either way. <laughs> yes, but he sent you a bit of a rundown of the game, which I believe you intend to publish on offside.hk, your footballing website, which is not really linked to this podcast. <laughs> little, little known fact. <laughs> um, I'll just give you a little bit of what he said. He said a 5-1 scoreline said it all. As always with football, it was a game we can reflect on all of the ifs and buts. Had Typo been capable of putting out their strongest team and had they managed to keep all 11 players on the pitch on the night, things may have been different. Although, if I'm honest, the quality of the Kadar team would still have proven a tough task for the Hong Kongers. That's their ACL adventure over. Uh, they will drop down into the group stages of the AFC Cup, where they will be joined by Kichi? Uh, not sure yet. Kichi still needs to play in the qualification round, most likely against a team from Taiwan or Mongolia. And then a, a team from Macau as well, right? Right. And another team from Taiwan. Okay, so... There we go. North Korea is not participating okay. this season. So back in the league, just below Taipo in the table are Pegasus. It was they who lost to Kichi. 3-0. This one, two goals from Souza and an own goal from Michael Glasuk. The Flying Horsemen will be sick of the sight of Kichi. They've played them in three 
of their last four games, twice in the league, once in the Sapling Cup. They lost all of those games, 3-0, 2-1, 4-1. Someone in particular they will be pleased to see the back of is Souza, who scored three goals in those two league wins. Two of them were very nice. The second opened this match, Jared Lum, with a lovely ball over the top, and Souza, lovely touch with his chest, really arching the ball into the air, coming down onto his left boot, and he volleyed it past Leung Hing Kit. He's in great form at the moment. Yes, absolutely. And something that we shouldn't forget is that he will be eligible for the HKSAR passport by summer. Wow. Could be wearing a Hong Kong kit. Yeah. And not even yet 31. Yeah. <laughs> is he old enough? That's the question we'll be asking. Is, has he got the experience required? <laughs> Yeah, he's doing really well, playing out on the right, mostly. I think there was, to begin with, this season, there was a little bit of disjointedness about Kichi. There was a lot of talented individuals being thrown together, and they were trying to figure out ways to play together. Of course, you've got people like Manuel Blader, Fernando, Souza, plus, well, of course, Fernando's been there a while, plus players like Jared Lum in the midfield, Clayton as well, he just arrived. And it looks like they are hitting their stride a little bit. That's five wins in a row in all competitions, unbeaten in seven and still unbeaten in the league. And they're up in third with a game in hand. So as we discussed earlier, they are very much back in the hunt. One thing that could affect them, which won't affect teams such as Eastern, RNF and Southern and Lee Man, is that they have AF. C Cup commitments, let's say they were to make it into the group stage, that would add to the fixture list. Yeah, maybe nothing to worry about yet. <laughs> yeah, you never know. We might just get kicked out of the AFC Cup. Well, I mean, Macau, Taman, and Hong Kong all have confirmed cases of the coronavirus. So. <laughs> 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 the entire group will disappear. We'll the be literal put group of quarantine. Death. Right. <laughs> too soon. <laughs> too soon. Far too soon. <laughs> In other news, in the bottom there, uh, Happy Valley drew 1-1 with Yoon Long. One thing we will mention was 19-year-old Lai Poi K saved a point for the Valley in the 83rd minute or so with a nice free kick. First Premier League goal for him. Yoon Long still yet to win this season, though that point actually lifted them above Rangers into ninth. So they are winless and still somehow not bottom, which is an achievement in itself. Well done to them. I just noticed you didn't plan to talk about Rangers. <laughs> I did. Well, nah. I, I know you You had a sentence. <laughs> they got a in sentence. The, right. Because one thing that I really felt is, yeah, Rangers, of course, lost a game in Guangzhou, but they really enjoyed the trip. They had a lot of postings about enjoying the buffet in the Guangzhou hotel. <laughs> and even an incident when Ao Yang Yu Chung took over the pen from the chef that was placed at the buffet <laughs> and made his own scrambled eggs. <laughs> This is Ao Young Yu Chung, yeah. who also owns a restaurant in Chim Sha Choi. Exactly. As well as being a slightly injury-ravaged Hong Kong football journeyman. But they had a good time. I think that's worth saying. Because R&F, for all these away games, they have to provide accommodation and dinners. Travel. Travel, everything. And I think they really <laughs> enjoyed it. <laughs> oh, well, that's good for them. And I'm glad that we've got to mention them. But they, they, are, they are nonetheless, as much fun as they're having, they are still bottom of the league. And they've just lost 7-1 and 5-0 consecutively to RNF. And look, that's the two toughest fixtures of the season done with. And they still won more games than you long, so they might not finish bottom. 
Okay, so away from the pitch, there was an HKFA consultation on the future of the local game in the past few weeks. We mentioned it a little bit last time out, so we won't go over old ground, but we were there and had some chats with the people running the show. That's coming up after this break. The Hong Kong Football Podcast comes out every two weeks, dropping on each second Wednesday. Make sure you never miss our latest show by subscribing on iTunes, SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Okay, so Toby, we went to this HKFA consultation. A great night out? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Why you laugh? (laughs) And it was a lot of talking about the future of Hong Kong football in terms of the Premier League, in terms of the representative team and the kind of the youth levels and youth development. What caught your eye? I mean, overall, I think we need to line out that the strategic plan is based on five major strategic goals. The first one being maybe also the most controversial one about being able to qualify for the World Cup by 2034 or 2038. Then a general goal, the second goal, an ever-improving Hong Kong representative side. The third goal, a professional league with stable teams. The fourth goal, football for all. So it's more about grassroots football and increasing participation. And the fifth one is about financial sustainability and good governance among football clubs in Hong Kong. Okay, and to that end, or to those ends, what are the the new ideas that the HKFA is now going to take to the government? Well, I would start first with the Hong Kong representative team, because this in the past has been more or less the key measurement when it comes to has Hong Kong football been improving or not. Overall, there's the idea to move away from FIFA ranking measurements, which have not been very beneficial for Hong Kong in the past, away to other methods of evaluating. And we will talk about this, I think, more in a moment. What I feel also what caught the most headlines in newspapers around was this very bold idea of being able to qualify for the 2034 World Cup, because this is rather soon, if you think about it, it's like 14 years from now. So the players who will play there are now between the age of 5 to 15, which also means that there's a kind of urgency to change things, to improve things and to bring things on track. That all said, right, and I think this key point that was also made during this consultation is, I think it's not wrong to put out this goal, even if it's not achievable. But in general, right, when you talk about strategic management, you need a goal that is almost not achievable in order to put out a vision and in order to at least give a very clear direction what you want to achieve. And even if you cannot achieve it, right, you have a very, very clear goal that you're working towards. To. So, so I think that's not wrong. It's not too much what you can ask for. And yeah, so I, I wouldn't agree with a lot of criticism that they received for that one. Yeah, it's an old phrase. If you shoot for the moon, you might land amongst the stars, which actually, you know, in, in <laughs> astronomical terms actually makes no sense. Yeah, <laughs> so, so you missed really, really badly. <laughs> but the, the, the point is that, you know, if you aim very high, it's the best way to end up achieving something which maybe isn't that high, but, you know, it's somewhere still very good. And I think it's absurd to kind of pick apart that aim. Now, in order to achieve this, of course, there will be a very, very big focus in the coming years on youth development. And this needs to start what is often considered the golden age of footballing, like starting with under six, under eight teams, making them 
train in more professional environments as well, bringing in more responsibility from the clubs that they need to take on youth development and need to have like youth sites developing as part of their professional structure as well. And especially important, I think this is a very big problem in Hong Kong when you think about developing a playing career to keep a relatively big size of children motivated and engaged with football over time. Because in Hong Kong, what you usually feel is you have a dropout of young players whenever the exam periods will start to get serious. And this is something that probably needs more motivation as well to to keep the children going there. And one of the big projects that the Hong Kong FA is taking on. So on the topic of the future of the national team, we spoke to friend of the podcast, the technical director, Tor Arneson. And I started by asking him that if we're not going to use FIFA rankings to measure the quality of the national team, what metrics are we going to use? Yeah, good, good, very good question. I think that funny about Iceland because in the old days we would always fuck, fuck the FIFA ranking because <laughs> we were very poor. But then when we started winning games, everybody was talking about the FIFA ranking. I think in general that it's a good idea not only to measure the team based on FIFA ranking. We can see now we're in a very difficult group and I think everybody knows the public and all the, the board and, and the, the qualifying group. Yeah, it's, it's really, really strong. Uh, Mixer has gone the way of, we could say, rebuild the team. He's put in some young players that are not usual to do in Hong Kong. And I would even like to see him go further in that sense. So I think that there's talk about change in, in philosophy in the document about it's not only about the FIFA ranking. Of course, this is also a world where if you don't get the results, you either criticize the, the players or the coach or change or the coaching staff or whatever. But at the moment, I think that uh, there's an atmosphere of understanding about the group we're in. So we can't be thinking about the FIFA ranking because we're going to drop based on we're playing teams who are better than us. But it's really difficult to measure. If you are not winning games, how do you measure the performance of the team and the coach? So um, it's a valid question, but I think that it's a good thing that we are not only focusing on FIFA ranking because it doesn't tell the whole story. Uh, you just mentioned, you said you wish you could go further in terms of bringing youth into the team. How would you do that? Well, honestly, there are just two ways to do it. One is to bring in the, the most promising players because they're going to be the ones who can take us further. As we spoke about the Premier League, it's very old and it's very difficult for young players to get in. In my opinion, it's one of the reasons why the league doesn't improve. You need to put young players in and give them one or two, three years and then they will improve by playing with older and experienced players. And then on the other side, you also need to take players out. They, they, they might be old <laughs> and they might be okay. They're not weakened in the team, but they're not strengthened in the team anymore. So you need to take a decision. Okay, your time is gone. Thanks a lot. And, and we'll bring uh, fresher legs in. Well, so you don't want to name names. No, no, I'm, I'm not the coach. I never get inferred in, in selections of teams. But in general, the philosophy, I think it's important that we, well, like we're doing now, make sure we're taking this step. He is a huge respect for me for taking that step. I, as a coach, would go further. It doesn't mean I'm right, but I would go further than that. Okay, so sadly, I couldn't draw the technical director on which players he wanted to drop from I, the national... I know. So if you would be the technical director, who would you drop? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no one cares about my opinion. <laughs> That's true. 
Hong Kong Football Podcast, asking the questions that others won't. Okay, so thinking about the local domestic club game, there was some talk about the future of the Premier League and what was the takeaways here? I mean, it seems as though one of the things that struck me was that the shape of the Premier League is kind of always in flux and it's always there for debate. You know, one of the things that I found interesting was that Paul Woodland, the chief executive of the HKFA, was talking about how maybe we'll have eight teams, maybe we'll have 10 teams, maybe we'll have 12 teams, which isn't something you normally just talk about (laughs) willy-nilly, you know, at different leagues. And I completely understand Hong Kong football is different. The stability of clubs is different. And he was talking about ways that clubs can become more stable or be kept at least in the league. One of those things that he seemed quite keen on and that the FA seems quite keen on is changing the arrangement for stadiums, the allocation of stadiums, so that rather than moving around every year, as is often the case with different teams at the moment, clubs would stay in a stadium that they're allocated for up to three seasons, maybe more. I think they said from 2023, so it wouldn't come in for a few years, but that strikes me as a really good idea. Yes, absolutely. I think this is what has been floated around as an idea for quite a while, to give clubs the possibility to stay in a stadium for a longer time in order to develop more more engagement with communities to create an identity and to create a support. Lehman did a great job in their seasons, right, at Chen Kuan O and then had to move away to Sham Shui Po. And yet this is not helpful eventually. So maybe a more controversial idea when we stay with stadiums is the selection of the stadiums that are made available to teams. So the idea apparently will be to focus on three grounds in particular, Mongkok Stadium, Chengkono Sports Ground and Hong Kong Stadium, all of them hosting two home teams eventually, which you then could imagine would just add other district grounds to the fixture schedule. Well, what is your take on this? Because I think this is maybe a little bit more problematic. Yeah, so I mean, one thing that you've just touched on, which has to be pointed out here, is that the district teams would stay in their district because they don't have this problem. They don't have the moving around problem and that they have a very good fan base in, in the cases of Taipo, Southern and Yunlong. That, of course, leaves at the moment seven teams who need a stadium. And the thing that sets those three stadiums that we're talking about apart is that they can host games pretty much at any time, right? Because they are relatively large stadiums which have the permission for games that are late because you don't have complaints about noise. Oh, you do. Hong Kong Stadium and Chen Kuan has limitations on how many events there can be per year. Okay, <laughs> that's that's a good point. But for example, you can't put an evening game on in Sham Shui Po because right. partly because the lights aren't good enough and partly because of the, the noise complaints and all that. So to me, it sounds like a perfectly sensible decision to put two teams at each. Of course, Mongkok is already hosting two teams. Which works well. It works fine. And yeah. it's the best stadium in Hong Kong. No one really disputes that. Chung Kwan is not a popular destination. It's, you know, it's not easy to get to for most people. I think one point that was raised at the consultation as well is that the pitch is really far away from the stands. You often forget about this, but once you're there, you realize, oh dear. <laughs> yeah, and the view behind the pitch is just like a main road, which is just moderately depressed. And it really, whatever shine is left on the event already is kind of tarnished by the fact that, yeah, you can just see lorries going past. Yeah, I prefer... Chingy Sports Ground. Yeah. You see the sea and then the cemetery behind. <laughs> yeah. Two of the nicest views available. Yeah. And look, there's always going to be these little kind of disputes. I can understand why they would want to get away from Hammer Hill Sports Ground. What? <laughs> <laughs> what look, about your cart noodles? <laughs> look, it is a cult 
world's favorite <laughs> among the podcast. But I also don't think it's the best for most people, especially if you don't want to go and get the cart noodles. Well, Honda didn't complain when you trained there. It, this is getting quite <laughs> niche. <laughs> And for all you know, he did complain. Probably. <laughs> what about Shamsho Pordo? So this is a point that has been raised also by friend of the podcast, Richard, who was at the, the consultation as well. He raised the issue that Shamsho Po is a great stadium. Pound for pound, it has a great atmosphere. It's as accessible as Moncock Stadium in terms of it's how central it is. There's enough stuff around there that you can, you know, go for a drink, get food, you know, before or after. So you can make a bit more of a day of it. And it's just quite a nice stadium so yeah i would say that it would be good if that could stay on but look even if you have six teams at those three stadiums and three district teams you're going to need another stadium anyway so maybe that will be shampoo right but i think just to close this little segment i think we all agree that it would be a good idea to have teams sticking around at stadiums for a longer time absolutely yeah uh, just to kind of modulate something that we said last time we were talking last time around about the idea of the hkfa moving the season from a august to may calendar to a, a calendar year so you know playing from like february to november as happens across most of asia having taken a closer look it seems as though that is very much something which they are going to look into considering you know that don't get too excited about that idea if you were excited because it seems like quite a long shot really that was one thing that came out of the meeting last week. That's true. And the main reasoning for this, by the way, is that it has been fairly difficult for the FA to organize friendly games, given the different calendar years. And this seems to be the main motivation to have this under consideration at the moment. But yeah, it's, it's very much on the horizon. I wouldn't worry too much about it either way. Okay, so let's whiz through a couple more of the kind of bullet points that we got here. What else caught your attention now, one thing that you heard us complaining from time to time in Hong Kong is about the quality of refereeing. And it seems there is now some planned changes when it comes to referees in Hong Kong. If I think the most interesting one is that starting from 2021, the Hong Kong FA plans to fully hire one professional referee, and this should be increased to four referees in 2025. So they will be in charge of more than just refereeing the match, right? But more in terms of training other referees, taking care of all the kind of administrative stuff that is necessary, going to education, further career development, and so on, trying to stay on, on top of things. Uh, so I think that's a good move and certainly important also. Also, in general, I think they plan to increase the pay of the referees, knowing that they have a hard time in Hong Kong yeah. across all divisions, and with the aim to also make it more attractive for people to, to do this kind of ungrateful job. <laughs> <laughs> there was some mention of financial fair play. Yeah. I mean, in Hong Kong, we are not concerned with teams are overspending. <laughs> it's more about underspending or maybe not treating players well enough in terms of having the salaries paid on time, having security over summer months and all this kind of stuff. So I think in general, they want to to raise more awareness for this in Hong Kong and also with the aim to keep clubs or help clubs at least to remain financially stable for a couple of years rather than having them disappear like dreams and so on based on financial difficulties. South China, most. South China, right. Obviously. Uh, yeah, and finally, I, I was interested by the notion that the league wants to encourage clubs to make marquee signings, you know, like most obviously uh, when Diego Forlan joined Kichi, when Mohamed Sissoko played briefly for them and looking back a little bit further you know when Nicky Butt played for South China with no great distinction really that's something that doesn't resonate with me personally as a fan I'm more interested in watching 
players I've, you know, who aren't past their best and who aren't here for a paycheck and a few photo opportunities. But, you know, these the guys who are coming up with this, they're coming at it from a different angle. They're looking to get bums on seats. And there's no doubt that, you know, players like Diego Forlan do bring in big crowds, if, you know, if only for a little while. But yeah, it's something that the, the FA is keen on. And we spoke to Paul Woodland about it. And I started by asking him about the idea of boosting marquee players we're not going to obviously be able to promise funding for that mm. it's not something we can tap it's not like japan you know and the, when they've kicked off their league many moons ago i mean they used to get i don't know a million us dollars to per player but um there's not something that we're we're applying for or asking our strategic partners for it's just to try and support them you know and um contacts and and encourage them to do you know if we can get if we can bring on board the financial fair play and try and support the club so that they get their acts together, you know, and they might be able to get the reserves to, to sign a marquee player because it works, you know. I mean, it, In what it, way? I thought it worked with Diego Forlan when he was here. I mean, he certainly um, attracted more spectators to the game and it was great to watch, you know. Uh, I don't think the Nicky Butt situation because he wasn't here long enough when, in many, many years ago. But it's something which will promote the league and promote it and, and, and increase attendances. In a kind of short-term way? Well, even if it's a player per season, you know. But well, it's just a, it, it, better players is going to attract more, more spectators. You know? I think the, 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 the better teams in our league are fine, you know, but the, the quality isn't there throughout the league. And I think the, 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 the lesser teams are not attracting spectators. So whatever we can do to try and help them, support them, advise them to try and increase the attendances and increase the quality is very important. Could you explain to me the thinking behind uh, the idea of moving to a, a calendar season? Well, really, as I mentioned, we can't really arrange a lot of friendly matches um, during the FIFA winter period. So, I mean, at the moment we're, we're busy because we've got uh, the World Cups and then we get the AFCs and things like that. But when it's a pure f FIFA winter period and it's friendlies, we find it, you know, it's an, an out of season, you know, or even the pre-season. You know, right now there's an opportunity in, in, across Asia for them to be playing friendlies, but they're not doing it. We just don't get the chance to do it. Start of our season, give and take. I mean, at the start of the, our first World Cup qualifying rounds, uh, our opposition teams were in season, a lot of them were in season, and the, the, the players are fit. You know, we, we had one game, one Premier League game before our first World Cup qualifier. Obviously the players weren't back in action, they weren't fit, so we were at a disadvantage there. Right now, I guess you would say that we have the advantage because our players are in season and the other team, you know, Thailand and countries like this are all in their, their pre-season. So, it's just trying to get in sync with the other the other Asian countries. The first thing that comes to mind is Hong Kong has a very hot and humid yeah. summer. How can that be accounted for? Well, it's they manage it in other countries. You know, I've been over last year and watched many games in Malaysia during the the summer months, and the the, the, the attendances were there. But as I say, the kickoffs were not on 9 p.m. So it'll this idea would never take off anyway unless we can sort out some of our sports grounds and get the the floodlighting up to standard, because we haven't got enough uh, stadium to to accommodate all evening matches. You know, during those summer months. So there's a lot of work to be done, and plus we've got to talk to the clubs and consult with the clubs and, and get their buy-in. Um, so there's a lot of work to be done to even consider it. But it was a, it was a suggestion that was put forward by the strategy committee. Um, some, some people had ideas and thought it was a good, good idea to move that way. Um, but there's a lot of hurdles in Hong Kong for it to come to fruition. Yeah. 
you have an idea for teams to be at stadiums, you know, when they move around for three years at a time. Yeah, yeah. What's the thinking behind that? Purely to try and encourage a fan base around some of the clubs. We're not talking about Southern Taipo or Yunlong. Let them stay where they are. But the others are nomadic, and they move around each season depending on the, how they get on in the league. Uh, you know, Lee Wan were in Chungkuno last year, and they wanted to remain. But when we looked at the the, the, the ranking, Eastern wanted to go there, and it meant that Lee Man had to move. Obviously, just informed tonight that the atmosphere where Lee Man play is high is good. Lee Man wanted to stay in Chungkuno, but they, we, we didn't get the opportunity. We couldn't do it. So the idea, the, the primary idea, is to so to allow the clubs to try and build up a fan base, get into the schools, try and get the kids involved, and, and, and build a relationship with the fans. You know, because it's not happening. And you know, how you move from from stage to stage or sports ground to sports ground, it's it's not allowing you to get into a, a routine. It's not allowing you to start your marketing properly. Go out and try and do fan engagement. Go to malls. Go to shopping malls. Go to schools. Try and build a rapport. Do some work with local hospitals you know all this sort of stuff our clubs aren't doing so they're not acting like you would consider a, a club and trying to develop a fan base and engage with the local community it's not happening so that's the that's the main reason so when you look around the world you know the big leagues that you've heard of you know the english premier league la liga chinese super league chinese super league <laughs> they are all run as independent financial entities they are companies which exist to make money by building the game and selling TV rights and things like that. And they are independent from their respective FAs. There has long been this idea, or at least for a few years in Hong Kong, of doing the same, of spinning off the Premier League into its own body, separate from the HKFA. That's something that Paul Woodland talked about and seemed quite keen on, but it seems as though it's met resistance from the clubs because that would mean the clubs basically doing a lot more for themselves, right? And some of them may be reluctant to do that. Some of them maybe just actually couldn't do that. Maybe some of them are keen on it. I don't know. What do you think of that idea? Is it likely? Would it be good? I think at the moment it would still be quite hard given the limitations that you have in terms of commercializing the game. Nonetheless, I think it's still like worth this consideration. Other smaller countries have been doing this as well. And I think it's the trend overall in global football to, to go this way. If it's not just for commercializing or professionalizing the game, it's more about maybe giving it a sense of better management, better governance, which usually these things should entail. But I think it raises the question, though, if Hong Kong football has the ability to sustain a professional league over time, given the fact that we have been talking about this for the last 15 years and it never really worked out the way it was expected it would. When you look at attendance, when you look at involvement of the clubs, when you look at sponsors, when you look at TV rights and so on, there has been almost no movement or sometimes even like a backwards movement to a certain extent, which I think is not really the FA's fault. There are a lot of other factors playing into this, but it begs some also the question like how Hong Kong football should see itself in the long run. Should the Hong Kong League be one of the top leagues in Asia and therefore with clubs that are competing in the ACL, competing on the highest level, attracting good players from overseas people paying to watch right on tv or also with the consideration of 
developing the national team, which seems to be the top priority also in this five-year plan. As you can see, goal one and two are about the national team. If it's not more about developing players and giving them opportunity to first grow their skills in a respected professional environment and then helping them or motivating them, encouraging them to see their professional careers overseas. And I think this is something that the technical director, Thor Arneson, was favoring. He explicitly mentioned this in the consultation, whereas, of course, there are different interests involved by different people. And I think it's a kind of a very difficult task to make such a final decision with, with all the kind of resistances that will be to it and all the kind of consequences it might mean. But any thoughts? It's strange, isn't it? Because for us, and I guess for a lot of our listeners, we go to watch Hong Kong football because for whatever reason, <laughs> for whatever sins we committed, because we live in Hong Kong and we want to support the local game and we want to watch live football. And we don't often think too much about those long-term questions because we don't really look further than this season you know who's good who's bad you know who's good to go and watch that kind of thing so in a way i feel as though that that kind of question is almost out of our remit that idea that players you know so what it would be kind of like the dutch league or something right by the time you're 23 you're expected to have moved to the bundesliga or to the premier league or Serie A. and is that the idea that like players should be looking to leave you know and some have you know if you look at Choi Wan Kit if you look at Tanshan Lok who kind of is in a bit of a purgatory at the moment he's not playing for RNF in the CSL but they are like I mean cases in point right they very much underline that if they are among the most talented young players and making the step overseas or making the step into another more professional league, which apparently also most certainly benefits them because they will be in a more professional environment. They will have stronger opponents on a weekly basis and eventually return to the national team with very good performances. Right? And that's the point. It's no coincidence that Choi Wan Kit has probably been the best performer for the Hong Kong team recently. Tan has become a starter where he wasn't before when he was playing in the Hong Kong Premier League. Andy Russell as well. I know he's had a different career path because he came through, you know, in university and non-league football in England, but he's been playing, training with a higher level of player, playing at a higher level, and now he's starting centre-back for the Hong Kong team. And I would say he looks better because of it. But it's just a question of whether, how many players can actually make that jump, I think. You know, guys who are currently playing at Valley, guys who are playing for Yoon Long, some of them are good in the Hong Kong Premier League, but will the best teams in Asia be clamoring to sign them up? Or even will the mediocre teams of Asia? I don't know. I honestly don't know. That's very true. I think another point that was raised is if it's more of a developing league, right, it might also be able to attract younger talents from other Asian countries as well, which is often an opportunity right, to first position yourself as, as a very strong league in that respect. Honestly, and I'm not saying this just for my patriotic reasons, but Red Bull Salzburg is a kind of case in point, right? Being able to develop very young talents, having the kind of also scouting abilities to do that. And then eventually they will lose them when they are like 21, 22, but they are kind of fine with it because they know it's the kind of trajectory of the club at the moment. So they won't stay in the way if like they get an offer from Manchester United or Dortmund or whatever. That's one way to see it, of course. But as I said before, it will entail a lot of difficult people to, to get on board. Yeah. <laughs> But that's, <laughs> I think that's a great place to end it because all of these questions involve getting a lot of difficult people on board. I'm not naming any names. When one day someone writes a history of the Hong Kong FA, that might be the title <laughs> because it's always a story of good ideas and a very big lack of organization. You think when they write the story of the Hong Kong FA, there will be the Hong Kong Football Podcast in a footnote? I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> what do you mean footnote? I'm just thinking <laughs> big paragraphs, big weighty paragraphs. Hong Kong Football Podcast, 2015 to 2020. Oh, uh, uh, <laughs> is, there some, is there something you want to tell me? <laughs> no, no. So I'm putting back on my mask right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. On that note, listeners, this has been a fun and slightly panicked edition of the <laughs> Hong Kong football podcast. I normally say, I hope your team wins, but they're not going to play for a while. <laughs> I, I hope you stay happy and healthy and um, get through what is going to be a weird time for Hong Kong. It's been a funny season. It's heavily affected by lots of different things. Time to reprint this podcast. Yeah, the Hong Kong protests and viruses podcast. Miss Cadenio's podcast. <laughs> Until next time, take care and... Um, Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's a place for you.